Good morning. It's nice to be with you this morning. I've got some, maybe that's me. It's always interesting uh, when I speak at a church other than my own. I, I, I want to assure you that, that it is so nice to be able to attend a church where people will smile at you. There's, there's nothing more attractive than happy Christians. Amen? Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I became an elder in the church shortly after our youngest son was, uh, was born, and so it's been about 32 years ago. Um, but I refused to speak for a number of years. And um, became, we moved to Murfreesboro, and they asked me to be an elder there, and I still refused to speak. Not that I was asked all the time, don't get me wrong. Um, and finally, they asked me why it was that I refused to speak, and I said, I will speak when you pave the parking lot. Because <laughs> I was not going to face those stones coming out of the church after the sermon <laughs> if someone did not like what I had to say. But I came to the conclusion that if the Lord was willing and able to use a donkey to speak through, that maybe he would be willing to do that through me as well. So I don't approach... Um, the message with any sense of self-confidence. If I am speaking um, the words uh, that the Lord would have me to speak, that you will hear those clearly. And that was kind of the discussion that Chuck and I were having uh, this morning before the message and before church began. Um, I don't think anyone enters the pulpit uh, with the intent, or, or at least they shouldn't, that they have something that everyone needs to hear. It should always be something that the Lord would have us to hear. And so with that in mind, before we begin, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, uh, not because I have something to say, but because this is where you are. This is where you have asked us to be on Sabbath morning. You have asked us to be in your church amongst your people, among like believers, those who desire to know the will of the Lord. And so, Lord, this morning as I speak, I ask that you would take my frailties and remove them and place in their stead the words that the congregation should hear. Help them to hear, Lord, not me speaking, but you. And I thank you, Lord, in your name, amen. Um, this is kind of a, a, a part two. Um, uh, the last time I was here, uh, we spoke on the subject of deception. And if you remember, we talked a little bit about a gentleman named Glendware Michael. We're going to talk about him a little bit later on in the message. We also talked about the Gibeonites and their deception. And, and as I was going through this, as I was thinking about uh, the first message, I, I began thinking, you know, there were things that I... I didn't say that I, I, I wished that I had. I think the Lord uh, gives us those opportunities. He speaks to us and says, you know, you left something unfinished. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit more about deception. And I think that most of us would agree that as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we should be intensely 
laser focused on knowing the truth as it's found in God's Word. The idea that someone, well, anyone, would seek to deceive us in spiritual matters is something that, quite frankly, we should find appalling. Similarly, the idea that we would lie or misrepresent the truth in any form should be equally unconscionable. So as we discuss deception, we must emphasize the importance of both insisting on hearing and on speaking the truth. We should not give ear to tales that cannot be substantiated, rumors and such, nor should we be involved in sharing or serving as a conduit for that which we have not acquired substantiating evidence for. A lot of big words. But we should not speak or listen to things that are not true. Now in our scripture reading this morning, we can see clearly that God considers our words to be of great importance. Jesus said that in the day of judgment, men will be justified or condemned by their words. The Bible says in Proverbs 10.10, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So it's plain to see that God hates deception. He hates a lie. And we see this throughout Scripture. And it's so important to God that he even included it in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor where bearing false witness is simply speaking falsely in any matter, lying, equivocating, and in any way devising and designing to deceive our neighbor. When I was young, probably about 12 or 13 years old, you know how when you're young, your parents ask you a question and you kind of skirt the edges of the truth just a little bit? Am I the only one? Okay. So my dad said something that has stuck with me all these years. Um, and I don't know if he ever said it to my brothers and sisters, but he said it to me. He said, the intent to deceive is a lie. Now, as I've gotten older, that has had more meaning to me, particularly as I had children of my own. I can guarantee you they benefited from their grandfather's words as well. But I think this fits in with the definition that we've read. But in a world full of sin, truth is elusive at best. We're surrounded by deception. In business dealings, politics, the news, personal relationships. I hate to say it, but it would appear that we have become accustomed to being lied to. I think we overlook it. We're used to being deceived. And so in order to try to avoid being deceived, we hire lawyers who write up long contracts, very wordy contracts. And if you've bought a car recently or purchased land or bought a house and had to sign a contract, you know you probably had to do some wrist-strengthening exercises before you went in to sign the paperwork. And if you watch TVs or movies, most of all the movies, cartoons, 
television programs that we watch are filled with lies. We have to recognize that people cannot fly. They cannot shoot webs out of their hands. They cannot dodge bullets or jump buildings in a single bound. They cannot transform themselves into other forms. But these are the things that we're seeing in the media these days. And it's all a lie. Watching these things does not help you to discern or understand the truth. Notwithstanding all that we seem to be surrounded by and all that we see, most of us still hate being lied to. You know, it's bad enough when someone lies to me. But when someone lies to a friend of mine, or, or a relative, or, or my children, okay, that's a whole different matter altogether. And if that has happened to you, you probably lose your cherub-like demeanor. Imagine how God feels as he sees us being lied to, or when we lie to each other. Or worse yet, when God is misrepresented through our actions and our deeds. In John 8, 44, Christ is speaking with the Pharisees. And this is one of those conversations that takes place in Scripture where out of necessity, things have become quite direct. It's time, as the old timers say, to put the hay out where the horses can get it. It's time to speak plainly, to tell the truth. And so Christ says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The same being that lied about God to the heavenly angels, the same agent that misrepresented the character and motives of Christ to the heavenly host, is still busy today. And both he and his angels and the human agents that he has chosen to employ and enlist are still peddling the same lies they did at the beginning. And to be honest, the lies have been effective. In Genesis chapter 1, as God is creating the world, we see numerous instances where Scripture says that he spoke and it came into existence. The power of God is absolute. Unfortunately, mankind is not willing to give God credit for having that kind of power. The most popular theory on the beginning of life on earth states that the earth was formed as a result of a comic explosion, a, a big bang and this theory is being taught and accepted as fact in schools and across our nation. Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The theory of evolution 
would have us to believe that we evolved from monkeys. Monkeys. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God's word shares how God created the world in six literal days and rested on the seventh. Stating repeatedly the evening and the morning as evidence. Science and even some in the Christian world would have us to believe that it took either thousands of years for God to create the earth or millions of years of evolution for the world to evolve to where we find ourselves today. In Genesis 2, 2 and 3, Scripture says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Man has said that they've decided to substitute Sunday, or really any day now, as the day of worship. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I can't begin to explain what the theory is now. It, it's become so strange and so bizarre. Uh, I, I can't say this much. It doesn't match up with Scripture. I was discussing this with one of the brothers at uh, the Murfreesboro Church. He and I had both heard that there are, there are now 32 genders. That's what's being proposed. And my friend said, well, there's two genders. So this is what I tell people. There are two genders and 30 mental illnesses. <laughs> we, we, have, we have fallen so far off track. But if we are going to use the Bible as our authority, we can't accept these hypotheses, these ideas that are out there. Then Genesis 3, 3, you shall not eat of it or touch it lest ye die. Then Genesis 3, 4, Satan says, ye shall not surely die. Giving birth to the lie of the immortality of the soul. Now it's interesting if you've been following the scriptures here that I've given, we're not through Genesis 3. And the lies that are being proposed, the lies that have been told that continue to be fostered by society are, are lies that are, in the eyes of a Christian, unconscionable. Satan has put great effort into his attempts at systematically dismantling God's word. And as we approach the end of time, his attacks will be more fervent. We as professed followers of God are charged with not only knowing and following the truth, but with sharing the truth with others. Imagine how God views these deceptions and those who accept them. We cast contempt on God by supporting any of the deceptions we just covered. Because it is God's expectation, and rightly so, that we as his children, as those who bear his name, that we defend his word. We must stand prepared to defend biblical teachings and principles. When others proffer the lie, we must be prepared to defend the truth. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go out and pick a fight. But knowing the truth and sharing it in due season is and should be a treasured gift by God's people. The consequences of accepting any of these laws, lies rather, is catastrophic. If we believe in evolution either because we believe it took longer than six literal days to create the earth or because we believe in the Big Bang, we disconnect ourselves from divinity 
because we don't believe the biblical account of creation. Since we don't believe the biblical story of a literal six-day creation with a Sabbath rest, we can't believe in the seventh-day Sabbath. And since we don't believe in the biblical account of creation, we don't believe God created male and female. We might as well say we don't believe in Scripture at all. And this is where many people are, and it's because they have let go of Scripture as the authority. We must maintain Scripture's authority, and we must be able to explain to others how and why we can do that. So it's no wonder that Satan continues to lead us to question the Word of God and the inspired writings. He knows that once he's gained this foothold in our lives, once a person begins to replace their own wisdom or the wisdom of those around them in place of the Word and the wisdom of God, that as the end approaches, when the time comes that we will be unable to stand on the Word of God because we are not grounded in the Word of God. Failure on one point is catastrophic. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. If we fall prey to the deceptions that are laid out before us now, as the time approaches, as things march on, as we get closer to the end, the pressures to go along just to get along will be too much. Satan is looking to deceive everyone. And he doesn't care where you came from, how wealthy you are, how poor you are, what car you drive, where you live. He's out for you. And while it's true that some people are easier to deceive than others, Satan is focusing his attention on a group that are defined in Scripture as the elect. Who are the elect? We are. We are supposed to be the elect, which means we should understand our Scripture well enough to defend our position. Those who follow God and keep his word are the elect. Not just some of his word, but all of it. Those who know and understand the scripture and the spirit of prophecy have been given special light. Why is he looking to deceive these individuals? Because they are the ones who jeopardize his plans. These are the ones who can warn others of his deceptions. I shared before in the last message about a man named Glendwer Michael. I mentioned him at the beginning of the message. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit about that story again, if you missed that message, just so that uh, I can make a point here in a second. In 1943, the British Army wanted to divert German attention away from a plan to invade the city of Sicily. So they devised an elaborate deception. But in order for the plan to work, the British would have to take extraordinary measures. They procured a corpse of a gentleman named Glendwer Michael. He was a homeless man who had recently passed away. 
And they dressed him up as an officer of the Royal Marines. He assumed the identity of William Martin. They then placed on his person correspondence laying out Britain's plan to attack Sardinia and fake an attack on the city of Sicily. They gave their fake officer an exhaustive identity and a backstory. His body was released in the ocean off the coast of Spain and early on April 30, 1943, a sardine fisherman came across poor Glendwer Michael's body, a supposedly drowned British officer. Now this was near Huelva, Spain. The Spanish government having identified the corpse turned the information over to the German intelligence branch, the Abwehr, who fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And a copy of the letters and the information that were being carried by this man landed on Adolf Hitler's desk. The Germans, after checking every reference, determined that the story was true. They fortified their troops around Sardinia, leaving Sicily unprotected, and soon Sicily fell to the Allies. Now, the British understood a key component that I believe Satan understands as well regarding the principle of deception. If you want to affect the greatest deception, you have to deceive those who are in a position to affect the lives of others. It raises the stakes because these are the ones who should be able to recognize the lie. The Adventist Church and the independent supporting ministries that are part of her mission have developed doctrines and position statements that have helped provide direction for the members of a church. Our pastors and teachers have received instruction and training on these biblical matters, and we, upon independent study, should arrive at the same conclusions they have. If we are doing so with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But we should not make the mistake of blindly following those who have been placed in this authority. It is our individual responsibility to know and understand the truth. Please understand I'm not casting a shadow on any of these wonderful men and women who have led us in our study of Scripture on any of our pastors, on any of the independent ministries. These are great men and women of God, and they deserve our respect. But it is not their responsibility to interpret Scripture for me. I am rather suggesting that we should be studying to elevate our own knowledge and understanding. Paul says in Romans 14, 12, Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I like Mark Finley. Mark Finley is not going to answer for Brian Neumeyer. Beyond knowing the truth, we must have a saving relationship with Christ. All of the, all of the knowledge in the world is useless if we are unable to accept what Christ called the first and greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Knowing the truth is useless without this relationship. 
but the relationship is not feasible without the truth. You know, a final deception has been planned that will deceive, if possible, the very elect. In the book Truth About Angels, Ellen White says, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will attempt to personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in Revelation. The glory that surround him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. If we are unable to trust the word of God and the spirit of prophecy by faith, we will be no match for the visual and sensory deception that is to come. Listen to the reaction of those who do not know or understand the truth. Those who will go through this great deception unaware of the truths of Scripture. From the Spirit of Prophecy, volume 4, page 441. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them, just as Christ blessed his disciples when he was personally on earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the most gracious, heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with truth and light. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. Think over the last three years. The strife and unrest we've seen the lies and deceit that has and continues to be foisted upon us. You know, most of us haven't found ourselves in the middle of these riots, in the middle of a lot of what's been going on, but we've been watching and we've been listening. And the things we've seen on TV, the things we've heard on the radio and in the news should be convincing evidence that the end is near. I don't think it's going to take much to push us over the edge. Yet for the most part, many cease to be amazed. Many cease to be alarmed. Sure, we talk about it. We recognize the absurdity of it all, but do we see all this as the fulfillment of prophecy? And if we do, praise the Lord, are we sharing it with others? If we question the word of God now, if we're unable to accept a simple and clear, thus saith the Lord, we will be no match for the deceptions that are coming. We will be unable to help our friends and neighbors to see the truth when they have doubts and fears, when they have questions, 
We need to be studying like our lives and the lives of our loved ones depend on it. Because brothers and sisters, they do. But I want to encourage you as well. You know, if you're not able to make it church to church, if you notice that someone's not missing, not, not attending, if they're missing, take time in your schedule to call them. Encourage them. I know that we put, you know, these, these messages up on the Internet. Sometimes they're live streamed. Encourage them to watch if they can. Encourage them to make it to Bible study on Wednesday evening. Spend time searching God's Word. Work on your relationship with God. We are too close to the end to allow ourselves to be deceived now. We must defend the faith against Satan's deceptions. Part of the Elijah message being proclaimed in these last days is, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. We're all going to follow someone. My prayer this morning is that in this world full of deception and deceit, that we know and understand the truth, that we are faithful to the teachings of the word of God and the spirit of prophecy. I hope that this is your prayer as well. May God help us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you have laid out so much in Scripture. And Lord, it, it's, it's always amazing to me that though we have people who have spent their lives studying the Word of God, that they're not willing to rest on their laurels at all. They continue to study your Word. It's an inexhaustible supply of truth and wisdom. Lord, help us to see that treasure trove that exists for us, to spend the time that we need to be drawn closer to you and have that saving relationship that we need so that we can be ready to meet you when you come back to take us home. In your name we pray, amen.